this morning. I'm, I'm kind of taking on a tougher subject. I pray that I would uh, do this with, with uh, faithfulness to your, your word and, and with awareness and humility, Lord. I pray that you would uh, speak through me, that, that it wouldn't be me and I wouldn't get in the way, but that it would be your will and your words and your everything. And I pray the folks who are here would hear from you, that you would touch their hearts and their lives and that folks would, would know you more through this morning. In Jesus' name. Um, I, uh, I do not have a wash tub. I, have, uh, I uh, was reading about porcupines. Have any of y'all seen a porcupine? I mean, they're around here, right? I, I saw my first porcupine uh, at Larry's house. Uh, we were walking through some tall brush uh, hunting birds, and I almost stepped on it because it mixed in with the brush that well. And there were cows all around us, and I said, Larry, what do I do with the porcupine? And he said... Shoot it, because that's what you do with porcupines. And, and porcupines are an interesting animal. Um, I almost ran one over once, and it reared up and pointed its quills at me. I thought about backing up and hitting it anyway. Um, but I didn't. Um, but I was reading this thing uh, this week, uh, like how to catch a porcupine, should the need ever arise. And I, uh, I, I do not have a wash tub, but I read a uh, thing from an old-time, like, like, Cowboy about how to catch a wash or a, a porcupine. You you get a how to catch a washtub is much easier than catching a porcupine. But I didn't do either this morning. Would have been cool to bring one for you. Um, you take your washtub and you approach your porcupine. Right now you got to imagine here. There's a little bit of you know imagination time, um, and you approach that porcupine and you got to be very careful because apparently their tails are very barbed. And they swing them at you as you're approaching. So you approach quick because if you give it too much of a chance, you know, it'll get you. And getting, I, I think getting a porcupine quill is bad, right? Um, I, I, <laughs> I'm sure you'll hear all about it if it ever happens. <laughs> so you approach the porcupine very quickly with your washtub, minding its tail. You come up on it and you put your washtub on top of the porcupine. And what that does is it gives you a place to sit while you figure out what the heck you're going to do next. Um, because there are some problems in life that are so thorny that, like, dealing with them is probably easier just to, just to shoot it. You get what I'm saying? Like, I mean, there are problems that way. Like, you think, well, if I, I don't want to tackle this, I don't want to deal with it, I'm going to just knock it down and get past it. Um, I, this sermon series we're going to go into here, um, this, the idea for this, I was finishing up John, and uh, I don't know if y'all are aware it rained last week? Yeah, that's an amen, right? Um, how many of y'all have been itching and waiting for rain? Yeah, I, uh, I, I posted on my Facebook page, uh, thank God it's raining, right? And I, uh, I got a whole bunch of, you know, oh, yes, praise God, it's raining, we're so glad it's raining, you know, and, and we all felt that way, right? Like get an amen real quick for that. It's rain. Praise God it rained. Um, but I, Steve Cyber, I don't know if you all know Steve. Steve is just one of my favorite people. I love Steve up and down. Like, he is just so much fun. Um, but he asked me, so, well, and I don't remember wording exactly, so if I misquote him, I probably won't be the first person in life. Um, if we praise God because it rained, does that mean he gets the blame when it doesn't? And I thought about it, and I was like, well... Like, my, my first inclination when I come across a question like that is to pull out the 12-gauge. You get what I'm saying? 
And we all have pat answers for that, right? Like, I mean, I'm sure you all have heard easy answers from folks when, like, bad things happen. Any of you all ever heard that? You know, like where, well, I'm, I'm sorry your brother died, but heaven just needed another angel. <laughs> really? I needed a brother. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's just not a good answer. That's a shotgun answer, right? But as far as problems go, that's a porcupine, ain't it? I mean, can you imagine approaching, especially on Facebook, um, approaching a question like that? It's much easier to throw a tub over it and stop and wait and think. And we're going to be talking about, like, this, this question, you know, what, what, uh, what's God's role in this, right? Rain, bad days, sickness, health, hard times, easy times. Like, we praise God when things are good. Like, what do we do when it's not so good, right? And this is, this is a hard topic. Can, would you all agree? But, um, and it's not a very upbeat topic. I'm starting on a very, you know, for, for a cook-off Sunday, let's talk about miserable life. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, uh, it's been in my head. It's been on my heart since I, I started looking at it, and I wanted to unpack it. Um, I wanted to dig into this topic, and so uh, here we are. Um, we are going to be in the Psalms this week. Uh, let me hit myself in the face with my glasses. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about the series that's going to be Finding God in the Dark Night of the Soul. The Dark Night of the Soul is a theology praise that came from a medieval uh, Catholic, Spanish Catholic fellow who um, he talks about this period, these periods of time when it seems like God is not around or when God is silent. Has anybody gone through that? Where you wake up in the morning and you think, where are you? You know, or you look out and you think, why isn't it raining today? Or you think, why did things have to turn out this way? Or why, you know, one second, one way or the other, the world would be different? What happened? You know, and, and we, we talk about these things sometimes and we want to shotgun it, but we're going to do this slow. It's going to be a series. Um, and we're going to start in Psalms because I, I don't want to answer questions right away. I want to, I want to address some people parts. So, um, easy answers, hard answers, dark night of the soul, answering. All right, so we're going to do the Psalms. And the Psalms, the reason I'm doing the Psalms first is the Psalms is one of those books that, um, that, that has the most human God interaction element. I, I'm not sure if that makes sense or not. Um, you can read the Psalms and you can encounter people saying things from the bottom of their heart to God, right? It's not always filtered. It's not always nice. There are some really difficult passages in the Psalms because people are being very emotional, right? And, and even, I'm sure there are people better than me, but there are times that things go through my heart and my head when I'm upset or hurting or whatever that are just not that nice. And the Psalms is wonderful because it gives us that, okay? And so as we approach this, this particular Psalm, we're going to be approaching it from the author and from the spirit, and we're going to try and do this right. Um, real quick, this is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is highly stylized. Um, and so there are all these different things you come across. Um, each Hebrew psalm has a form. Like some of them are praise, some of them are worship, some of them are laments, some of them are thanksgiving, some of them are whatever. Um, this is one that scholars can't agree on, right? It is considered by almost half of them to be a lament. This is a sad song, right? It is a God, where are you? What is going on? The other half say, no, this isn't a sad song. This is saying thank you to God, which is weird, isn't it? It's just a sign that scholars have too much time on their hands. Or it's a sign that sometimes you can be sad and thankful at the same time. I like that one better. Um, so let's dive into this text. 
Um, let's dive into this text, and um, we'll see what we get. Okay? Everybody with me? All right. I'm going to sit on my tub while I do this, because I think it seems appropriate. Um, you're still imagining this is a wash tub. <laughs> I, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Um, now, I'm, what I'm going to try not to do is, do anybody see Dead Poet Society? I, I don't want to do the textbook thing where we break this down and turn it into something it isn't, right? Like where we, we talk about every little element. We're going to talk about like the heart of the issue and this guy talking to God. You all with me? Um, and so if I start to do that, throw things. You brought your rotten fruit, right, Michael? <laughs> so on my wash tub. Um, so the psalmist, what he's saying here, right, is obvious. He is literally so broken and so hurt and so depressed or so lost that he's, he's crying out. Anybody ever been in that spot where everything is so broken that your voice, you have to, you have to say something and you think, you, know, you say, why, why God? You know, what, what gives? Um, you know, where are you? Uh, and that's, that's what he's doing. I mean, this is a guy who is, has so overflowed that he's crying out to God. He's speaking. He is saying these things. And he's, you know, maybe shouting, actually. Most of the commentaries nail this down as shouting. He's shouting at God, uh, which I've done a few times in my life. I don't know if anybody else has. Um, and he will hear me. Uh, so out of the gate, he's depressed. He's upset. But he acknowledges God hears, Right? And those of us who believe in him, even when we're frustrated with God, like we can always back up and say, at a minimum, I'm pretty sure God hears me, right? Um, I'm pretty sure God knows what's going on. It's easy to say, well, God isn't paying attention or God doesn't know what my deal is. And some of the psalmists will address that like in other spots. But like this guy is saying, you know what? I know God hears me. I, I'm yelling and I know you hear me, God. I know you're there. Pay attention. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Anybody ever lay in bed so upset about something you couldn't sleep? And you found yourself, like, getting up and, you know, maybe shaking a fist at heaven? Like, I may, it's, you know, not everybody, right? Some people don't experience life this way. Some people aren't emotional. Some people aren't, you know, if, if you're not, that's not, not wrong. It's just, this is where this guy is. Um, he, in his day of trouble, he doesn't tell us what his trouble is. And there's a lot of trickiness with this psalm because some scholars will say, well, this is a really old one. And some will say this is a really new one. Some of them will say, well, this is from the fall of the northern kingdom of Israel. And so these guys are upset that their country's being sacked. And other people will say they're all over the map and they're not really sure. And I think it's better that we not know. Because what this guy is talking about is like everything is broken and he turns to God and he says, where are you? Right? Where are you, God? Everything is messed up. Where are you? Come on, show up. Where are you? Um, so he seeks God when he's in trouble. He seeks God when everything's broken. He backs up. He lays out on the floor at his house at night, hands outstretched, um, and looking for God. And my soul refuses to be comforted, meaning the easy answers aren't covering it. Right? He is not able to find easy answers. He's not able to find comfort that's in a place that's obvious. Um, even when he finds, you know, here's the, the standard stuff. Well, God is still out there. God is still in control. He doesn't feel comforted by it. Um, when I remember my God, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Now, watch this. This is a guy who believes in God and has encountered him and experienced him, right? But part of what his problem is, is he knows that everything's screwed up, and when he 
backs up and thinks about it, he says, you know what? You've been there in the past. Where are you today? Right? Um, You've answered me before. What about now? Why aren't you listening now? And that can be frustrating, can it? Um, That's the dark night of the soul where you're in the spot where you're in the dark and you're stuck and you think, where are you, God? And and you begin to ask, well, are you watching? Are you here? Are you nearby? Um, What's the deal? Um, And he moans because he's like, I know you've done this before. I know you're capable. When he meditates on it, when he thinks about God and prays about his word, he, he stumbles in it. He can't do it. He's so, like, struggling. You hold my eyelids open. Now, I read this about a hundred times before I figured out what he was saying. He is so overwhelmed he can't sleep. Right? Like, he's so, like, hurt that he can't sleep. Um, so he's up at night. He, he, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And so he goes from this place where he was yelling at God, angry and hurt, to where he is silent before God. Like where he's, he's reached this point where he can't even say anything else. Like, I, I can't sleep and I'm done talking. Um, now, this is the hinge in the text where he begins to think. And both are important, okay? There are times it's important to talk and be loud, isn't it? I mean, there are times when it's important to vent. There are times when it's important to be emotional. And, and in the church, sometimes we get uncomfortable with that, don't we? You all ever listen to somebody like, you know, God, what gives? And you, you kind of want to play lawyer for God? You know what I'm saying? Well, well, wait a minute. You can't blame God for this. And here's why. You know, and like as though God needs a lawyer. Um, he doesn't, right? His spirit does better than I do. I don't know. I, yeah, you probably get the Sunday school, the kids' Sunday school class up here. They probably do better than I do. So, um, but but um, he he thinks, and like he's at this point, he starts out yelling and he, he, he raises his voice, he expresses his frustration, and now he's sitting in silence before God, and he's waiting on God, and he's in God's presence. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. Um, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. So now he stops, and he says, hold on. I'm going to be quiet for a little while. He sits quiet. He spent his energy, and he says... I know I've, I've sang in the night, right? That's kind of a cool phrase. Poetry is neat. Um, anybody ever have a bad day where, like, you just encountered God and it was the best moment ever, despite the fact that everything was as bad as it was going to be, period? I, uh, Jess and I, years ago, and I've talked about it a few times, but, like, I don't think I've ever shared this part of this. Uh, the, when just the first time we, we were going to have a baby, the first time Jess was pregnant, we went to the doctor to get an ultrasound, and they went and they couldn't find the heartbeat. And then they sent us to the next doctor who did a, like a, a more in, involved check. And they're like, no, there's still no heartbeat. And they sent us to the hospital, and they did this like big, serious thing. And, you know, we're just, we're just bawling. <laughs> like, I'm not even going to lie. I, I was, I, you know, we were both crying. We were both really upset because we got up in the morning thinking we were going to hear our baby's heartbeat, and then it was gone. And, like, the ultrasound is just big, empty space. And actually, the nurse, the last nurse we talked to, I was like, well, can you tell us what's going on? And she's like, well, the doctor will tell you. They need to read it, and they need to tell you. And we're just, just broken. And this woman says, all right, look, you're going to not hear from him for, like, a week. And you can't, I, I can see you're not going to be able to do that. This is the baby. It's about the size of a grain of rice. It stopped being alive about this time. 
that's what happened. I'm sorry. You're going to have a miscarriage in a week or two, and that's it. Like, and they're not going to tell you, don't tell them I told you this, I'll get in trouble. But, like, that's what happened. And we were like, just. I mean, I, I'm tearing up talking about it. It was awful. We, we went out to eat after that because we'd been, like, all day. We hadn't eaten anything. We're, you know, frantic and crazy. We went to a restaurant, and we sat down, and we ate lunch. And we, I don't even think we talked the whole time. We were just, just wrung out. And the waitress, you know, she kept coming back, and we're, and finally she sits down with us in the middle of the day, no one's there. And she said, well, what's, what's going on? And we explained real quick, and we're just, you know, and they gave us our lunch for free. And I, I remember walking away from it and saying, wow, you know what, that was nothing for her. But, like, we've talked about it, that's, what, eight years, seven? Um, and we still talk about it occasionally. We talked about it about a week ago. We were like, you remember that? That was great. Because in these, some of these moments, you encounter where God just like gives you a little bit, right? Not a lot. But th- there are some of these moments where God blesses you in the tiniest little bit, and you get to back up and say, you know what? Praise God. That's singing in the night. Does that make sense? That is singing when everything is as bad as it's going to be. It is well with my soul would be another example of that. Uh, it was written by a fellow who, um, his family died, I think. Larry knows this story backward and forward because I've heard it a million times from him. Um, his family had passed away, and he was traveling by ship to see them, and a storm struck up, and he was going to, like, there was a chance he was going to drown because the ship was going down, and he wrote, it is well with my soul. Like, singing in the night means in the moments when everything is screwed up as possible, and you realize God's still in control, God's still got me, I'm still taken care of. And that's what he said. Like, Let me remember my song in the night. Let me remember these times and everything was bad, but I remember that God was there, and then I remember that God was taking care of me. Um, let me meditate in my heart. So he's slowing down and he starts looking inside and saying, what's there? And he asks questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all times? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Uh, Selah. Selah is a Hebrew word. We don't know what it means, so it never gets translated. Just FYI. <laughs> like, uh, so uh, he has these questions. Like, God, are you done with me? God, have you abandoned me? God, have you forgotten about me? God, have you... Anybody ever asked this question? Any one of these? Like two of us? <laughs> you and me, brother. Solidarity. Um, there are moments when we stop and ask, where are you, God? I, I read where these are supposed to be rhetorical questions, where he's backing up in his head and he's saying, no, I know this isn't true. Right? Maybe, maybe not. Um, Actually, I think he answers it. Then I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. So he asks these questions. Where are you, God? What's going on? Where are you? Where are you? And he says, well, let me look back. Let me look back at the times you've been there. And he begins to meditate on, like he begins to think about the stuff that God has done right by him. Um, The right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. So this guy stops and he says, God, I'm going to think about what you've done in the past. Right? I'm going to spend my time reflecting on what you've done before. I'm going to, I'm going to think about how you've taken care of me, how you've met my needs, when you've showed up. Um, all of us probably, I don't know if all of us, some of us have personal elements of that, right? I've, I've had days where, you know, I was frustrated, angry, and, you know, broke something because I was so mad, and I stopped and prayed, and, like, immediately, like, like 
you know, my, my solution showed up. But other days where that didn't happen. But like I can back up and think, this does happen sometimes. God does watch. He is in control. I know he takes care of me. I know he's taken care of me in the past. As a Hebrew, this guy says, your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Um, he says, you know what, God, I know that you're set apart. I know you're different. I know there are no other gods out there that are like you. You are, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might amongst the peoples. And he says, God, I know you're out there, and I know you've made yourself known, and I know you've showed up before, and I know you're not like these other like false images. I know you're different. I know, God, that you are, that you are like, like above and beyond. With your arm, your, excuse me, with your arm redeemed your people. You, with your I can read, I really can. You, with your arm, redeemed your people. The children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah, again, there's that word. Um, he says, I know you've redeemed your people. Jacob and Joseph might refer to the northern kingdom because you kind of got a lineage there. It might refer to um, just all of Israel. But he's saying, one way or the other, I know you've taken care of us before. I know you've bailed us out before. I know you've watched out for us before. I know you've done this. This is my favorite part of the psalm. Watch this. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. Now, he's talking about the Exodus, and we're going to explain why here in a moment. But there's a whole other cool bit to this, right? Um, For the Hebrews, in Hebrew poetry, when you come across water, it's usually a reference to chaos or death, right? Or brokenness, right? you know, being beneath the sea sometimes refers to being in hell. Like, it makes the story of the Exodus where the Pharaoh's army drowns, like, really nasty because it means that they were, like, basically crushed by God's wrath. And um, But he says, listen, even the waters, when they see you, they tremble. Like, the sea is afraid of you, God. I know you're that big, and I know you're that in control. And every time I read this part, I think about Jesus in the boat. You all know what I'm talking about? I mean, it fits really well, doesn't it? Like Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and he falls asleep and a storm rises up and they're all like about to drown. And finally they're like, oh, wake Jesus up, he'll help us. And they're like, hey, Jesus, come on, come on, we're going to drown. And he wakes up and he's like, really? You guys really thought we were going to drown? I'm here. You know, like you couldn't have just let me sleep. You can't trust me even though I'm not like paying it, you know, I'm, I'm still God. And so he wakes up and he says, stop. And the rain stops. And he goes back to sleep, I assume. Like, <laughs> it's like me and the kids. Be quiet. Except then they, my kids keep going. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, but like he acknowledges God can control the weather. And to a degree, he's backing up and he's saying, I know God is in control, right? I know that everything is horrible right now, but I know he has a purpose. I know he's watching. I know he hasn't run off. I know he's there. Does that make it so he doesn't hurt? I don't think so, right? And we sometimes live in this world where, um, sitting on the bucket, we ask, should we hurt as Christians sometimes? I got bad news. The answer is yes. That is a porcupine I don't want to grab this morning. But we'll talk about it in the coming week, okay? Sometimes hurting is not bad for you. Sometimes hurting is good for you. Um, It kind of depends on what you do with it as I keep wrangling with the porcupine. I just can't leave things alone. Um, We'll come back to it. That's staying under the bucket this morning. Um, But heads up, like, God is in control even when things are broken, even when it won't rain. He's still there. 
Even when the land is on fire because it won't rain. Even when your life is on fire and you wish he would make it rain. Even when your family is on fire. Even when he's still there. Right? And that's where this psalmist ends. Like, he doesn't give an easy answer. He backs up and says, God, I know it's bad, but I know... I know you're there, and I know you're taking care of us, and I know you command over the elements, and I know you command over everything. I know you're there. The clouds poured out waters. The, school, the, the skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up, or lighted up the world. That's a weird phrase. Um, lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook, meaning, God, you're in control. And in these moments, you are there. I know because you've done it before. I don't see you now, but I know you're still there. Sometimes that's what we get, right? Now, in this case, actually, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Now, watch this. This is cool. Um, Because he's talking about the parting of the Red Sea, right? And the people of Israel escaping through the sea, right? Like, because he talks about the Jacob and Joseph and all that. Like, he's pointing back to Jewish history. He's saying, listen, when we escaped the Pharaoh, we escaped slavery, and we're all going to die on the shore of the Red Sea. You split it, and we walked across it, and that's awesome. Like, your way was right through death, and you carried us through death, and that's awesome. Like, and you crashed it all down on our enemies, and you took care of us. So I know you can. Yet your footprints are unseen, because if you read Exodus, God does not walk through the water with them. Right? However, um, later, we do see God's footprints. Anybody know where? Like, God shows up as one of us. Like, Jesus Christ, like, God steps into this world in the form of a man, and we see his footprints. And so, like, whereas the, the, the Jewish folks, the, the Hebrews, they could look back and say, God saved our people from slavery, and God did this, and God did that, and he saved David with Goliath, and he probably not at the... Well, anyway, um, like, God did all of these wondrous things. Um, for us, we can say, God, we saw your footprints, right? We saw your son. And actually, you want to talk about, like, an unfair moment in history, Right? Like Jesus who was perfect, Jesus who never did anything wrong, Jesus who loved us enough to go to any length to step out of eternity and glory for us, like for you, was whipped and beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross and spit on and rejected by his friends and stripped naked and hung in front of a crowd of folks to die alone, humiliated, while people gambled over his clothes and you know, he was, he was buried in, in a borrowed tomb because he was too poor to have his own spot. Like, that is unfair, isn't it? Because he didn't do anything wrong. He did it for us. And sometimes hurt is just the path that God chooses. We saw his footprints to the cross. We saw him die for us. We saw his footprints out of the tomb. And we get this promise on the other side, right? That this world is not the end. Right? Like this momentary affliction is what Paul calls it. These moments that everything is hard and miserable and everything else, like this is not the end. This is part of it, but like we're all prepared for eternity. That's where we're going. Um, At the end of the day, the psalmist comes up with, hey, I know, God, that you took care of them. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron, right? There's the hint that he's talking about the Red Sea, by the way. Um, But now we know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, that Jesus is like, like, our, our 
representative before him, that we're adopted as his brothers and sisters into the family of God. Like, like we know he has just this to remember. We have that much more to remember, right? And so, like, at the end of the day, what, what do we do with this? Because this is a hard one, right? And it's, it's a weird passage to have started with, and I, I went back and forth about what to do, and this was my pick. Here's what we do with this. This is the, this is the, the meat of it. First off, it is not wrong to hurt. Got it? It is not wrong to, like, talk to God when you're hurting. That is, it's not. Um, anybody wants to debate me about that later, I will happily engage in that one. Um, it's just not. It's not even always wrong to, like, it's not even wrong to, like, go to God and ask, where are you, what are you doing? I don't understand. If you read the book of Job, which is one of the most difficult books in the Bible, Job's whole book is, all right, let me plead my case as to why I'm not wrong and I'm getting kind of cheated here. I'm getting the short end of the stick. I'm the good guy, and I'm losing, and it's not right. Where are you, God? That's the whole book, right? And in the end, God shows up, and he pleads his case, but that's another week. It's still under the bucket. Um, it's not wrong to do that. Like, we can approach God, and we can express frustration. We can express hurt. Um, my daughter sometimes will get mad at me about not getting her way. I know you all are shocked. And she will cry like it's the end of the world that she doesn't get to go to the park. And she'll carry on and on and on and on and on and on about how disappointed she is. And I am happy to hear her. I will listen to her forever, right? Because it's okay for her to tell me she's not happy. Um, it, it just is. And God has big shoulders. He'll listen. Like, that is the truth. We pray. I mean, we go to God. We pray. We express our, our frustration. On the other end of that, we have to remember everything. Anybody ever break a bone? <laughs> when I was in uh, college, I crushed my left foot. I broke it in so many places, they said they'd have to CAT scan it to find all of them. Um, about a decade later, I rolled my ankle, they x-rayed it, and they found bone chips that had never healed back in. Like I, I, and I remember sitting, my parents didn't believe me that it was broken. Um, and I, I was kind of a big baby, so it's not that surprising. But I, I sat all night with my foot up and ice on it, and all I could think about for about, I don't know, six hours or whatever was how bad that hurt, right? And I tried to do other things, and I tried to think other things. I tried to sleep, and instead I sat there with my foot up, and which I'm not saying bad. They, my parents are awesome, okay? Don't, like, then they listen to these, and, and I want them to know that I love them and, like, that that they are, yeah, I'm not knocking on my parents. They're awesome. But, like, I remember the, the point is, like, the pain of that, I couldn't think of anything else. And it's easy to get tunnel vision when you're hurting and forget everything else, right? But we have to stop and step back and think and remember who is God and what is he doing, right? You know, at the end of it all, we have to back up and talk. And the psalmist gives us this great thing. And, and you know what? Honestly, that leads to a much harder question. Is God to blame when it doesn't rain? Thanks, Steve. Um, is God to blame when it doesn't rain? And we'll talk about that a little more later. Okay? Still under the bucket. I'm just giving guidelines for the now. Okay? Because I want to do this right. Um, so backing up and reflecting, backing up and remembering who is God. Um, what has he done in the past? And for us as believers, like it's knowing Jesus died for us. I mean, that is huge. We get a comfort that... That no one else, like like no one else in the world, can have. That is a blessing beyond words. Um, 
we have to remember and confess the fact that God keeps his covenants. Right? God makes an agreement. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't teach you out of it. He doesn't go the other way. God is, God is unable to break his word. Like, literally unable to break his word. And so if we have an agreement that we belong to him under the new covenant, under the blood of Christ, you, you know he hasn't abandoned you. But we have to remember, God is that God. Um, we have to go to God's sanctuary. And this is hard. It is hard to pray and talk to God when you're hurting. It is hard to sing when you're hurting, isn't it? I don't, I don't sing well anyway. I'm not always crazy about singing, but it's hard to sing. It's hard to fellowship. It's hard to spend time with other believers. It's hard to sit down and read the Bible sometimes when you're hurting. But like the reality is that sitting down and doing these things draws us into his presence. Um, if I was going to offer an analogy, sometimes my wife and I will have an argument, usually because it's my fault. Um, and if I stay away from her, the argument does not get better. Right? How do you fix it? You go and you sit down and have a conversation. Sometimes that means me being a jerk even more. But, like, <laughs> it's working through the process of spending time, going to the sanctuary with God, talking to him, reading his word, being with him, um, being with other believers. This is it, man. That's how you, like, like how you swallow the big, ugly things in life. Um, it's how you remember who he is. There's a great book, uh, which I'll probably talk about three or four more times before I'm done with this series, uh, by a guy named Harold Kushner. He was a rabbi, and he said that... Uh, he had this huge tragedy that happened in his life, and he backed up and he wrote a book about why do, or when bad things happen to good people. And his answer in the end was, God hates evil, he hates hurt in the world, he hates brokenness, but God is too weak to do anything about it. Right? Gosh, that's a bad answer. Like, <laughs> you know why? Because then there's no real comfort in God. Like, if we sit down and we spend time in the sanctuary, we come up with the answer. Like, because that's what Kushner, I think, he searched his soul and could not compromise the fact that sometimes bad things happen and God is good and all-powerful. Um, it's too big of a porcupine. And so he took the shotgun out and solved it. Um, this is not the solution, though. Spending time with God reminds us of what's true about him. It puts our feet on solid ground. It gives us a place to stand as we go through it. And honestly, it gives us a place to run back to. Um, we remember that God intervenes, and we remember that God is watching over us, and that he's brought us this far. Um, my, my encouragement for you guys today is um, if, if, uh, if you're in this spot, or if you're in this spot frequently, spend some time thinking about like, like what God has done. What has he done in your life? What has he done in your past? How has he rescued you? And honestly, if you can't nail down moments like that, right, because not all of us can, um, what has God done through Christ for you? What has God done through his only son who died for you? Like, how much did you not deserve forgiveness? I am a guy who doesn't deserve forgiveness backward and forward. I actually followed Jesus and then fell off the, like, like the, the truck for a little while, and like he picked me up out of that, and I didn't deserve it. Like, I don't deserve anything God has done for me. He's so amazing. And at the end of the day, like, whenever I hurt, I have to back up and say, you know what? God loves me that much. God loves me that much. God loves me that much. I've told the story quite a few times about a young lady I met who was uh, drug, in drug rehab, and she was a prostitute for a little while and did some other things that she was not very proud of. And we were talking about Jesus one day, and she said, God cannot forgive me. You do not know what I've done. You do not where I, know where I've been. Like, God will never, ever clean me up from what I am. I was like, nope. Jesus died for you. Jesus died knowing who you would be. Jesus hung on the cross and thought about you, and you're completely brand new if you belong to him.
no ifs, ands, or buts. Like you are a new person in Christ. Um, I think I baptized that gal, actually. Anyway, um, like back up over and over again. Jesus is the place we run, right? Anywhere else you run to is it's not a rock to stand on. Um, Jesus is it. I'm going to close in prayer. This has been a very heavy sermon. I went way longer than I'd planned on. Um, so, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with the folks who are here. I pray that, that folks who heard from you this morning, that, that you would continue to move in their hearts, Lord. And I pray as I try to pull the porcupine out from underneath the bucket I just set down, um, that you would give me wisdom to do it, Lord. And I pray that folks would be, um, have courage in the, in the conversation about it um, and that, that we would be a supportive family here for each other and love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.